studying through the Psalms, we got to the 47th one, and we just did what it said here, oh, clap your hands, all you people. We clapped our hands thanking the Lord for Brother Jim, <laughs> and uh, there are various ways of praising God and, uh, and expressing approval. And it says, shout with a voice of triumph. So we sometimes shout too, do we not? It says here, oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. So all the people are to praise God. We're to do it in various ways. And sometimes uh, we, uh, if you read Psalm 150, verses 3 through 6, you'll find it tells us that everything, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And then uh, the second verse says, For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. We need to praise Him because of His universal sovereignty. God is king over all the earth. All the earth shall uh, worship Him. And we find in Psalm 66, verse 4, that's what it says. All the earth shall worship Thee. And in Philippians chapter 2, if you remember concerning Jesus, it says that unto Christ every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we praise Him because He's universal sovereign. There's not a thing in this whole universe that He is not Lord over and King over and sovereign over. And so that's why it says of everything in heaven, everything in earth, and everything under the earth. In other words, the whole universe is to recognize Him. And then we find verse 3 says, He shall subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. We need to praise Him because He shall subdue all of these, all things under our feet. He shall subdue the people under us and, and the nations under our feet. We know that, he, uh, that all of uh, His creation is under His subjection. The Bible tells us uh, in the New Testament that He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. The book of Philippians, remember it says, For our conversation is in heaven. I think it's the third chapter, verse 20. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. And it says, uh, According to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. So He is able to subdue these vile bodies. He has power to subdue all things unto Himself. So all of creation is under His subjection. And all the dead in Christ will be under His subjection. And all the bodies of the saints that have gone on before, He's able to subdue all things unto Himself. Someone might say, well, why? If God made uh, Adam out of the dust of the earth and created Adam and Eve and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul, why doesn't He just, instead of resurrecting the dead, just make a completely new body. But he is able to make just this good one out of our old body and resurrect us into a, a, a body that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. And we're having inheritance that way. And it, the Bible says this mortal shall put on immortality and this corruptible shall put on incorruption and then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So God can, you know, it's a lot easier if you go out here to build a house to start with a brand new slate, isn't it? 
new ground and new foundation and everything than it is to rework the old one. But God is able to rework the old one and make it just as good and better than new. And He's going to give us a glorified body out of this body of corruption. Someone might question God's wisdom in that, but I believe God's wisdom answers for itself. If we study the Bible, we don't have to ever question it. Now then, look at verse 4. It says, He shall choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob whom he loved, Selah. You know, every once in a while you'll find through these Psalms that says Selah. And really the best ex- explanation that I have found is a pause. Or like, what do you think of that? Or uh, we're summing all this up. Now just pause and think about it for a while. Now there are all kinds of things written about Selah. And uh, you'll find that it basically indicates a pause like you would have in, uh, in the music. So anyway, uh, you can read that and discuss it and uh, find all the information you can on it. But notice, we trust Him to choose our eternal inheritance. Notice what it says. He shall choose our inheritance for us. Not that we would have any say in the matter, but God is going to choose it for us. And I believe if He chooses it for us, the Bible says in First Peter chapter 1, that we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. And so we have an inheritance, listen to that, that's incorruptible. We have one that's undefiled. We have one that fades not away. And we have one that's reserved in heaven for us. And then it says we're reserved for it. We're kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation. When you talk about earthly inheritances, they're so frail and so unsure. You might say, well, you know, when my dad dies or my uncle or great uncle that's a rich uncle, you know, you heard that story about the rich uncle dying. I've never found too many rich uncles that left it to, to their nephews. Usually it goes to somebody else. But anyway, be that as it may, you know, earthly inheritance are very uh, unsure, as we said, because there may be good intentions on the part of those that leave. And you may never uh, inherit a bit of it, or it may go to, uh, to um, uh, the lawyers, or there may be some disputes come up. And you know, if, if you're sued for something, or if something is contested, all you can do is protect yourself. And if you have to do that, you may be on the losing end just by protecting yourself, you know. And the other fellow's going to lose too when he sues you. And the lawyer's going to be the one that gains the money. He's going to get, get all the, the goodies. And all you're going to get is the heartaches. I've had people say, well, Brother George, why didn't you sue? What was the use? I could live at peace without it a lot better than I could with the money with it. And it, a, a whole lot less trouble. I mean, a whole lot less trouble. Just take it if that's what you want. Sometimes you best ask, what do you really want? The guy says, well, that's what I want to say. Okay, take it. Forget it. If that's what you want, just give it to him. And you say, well, preacher, that's not very wise. In some instances, it's about the wisest thing you can do. And you'll be better off. But anyway, I'm not saying in every instance, but in some instances that is true. All right, let's look at this. We trust him uh, to choose our eternal inheritance. He says, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loves. See, look at verse 5, will you? It says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Now, we know the Lord Jesus Christ, our forerunner, has already entered into heaven. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, 
Ye men of Galilee, why, you, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And the Bible tells us our forerunner is for us entered in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Our forerunner is already entered into heaven. In uh, uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 21, it says, Whom the heaven must receive un- until the time of restitution of all things. So there's going to be a re- restoration and restitution of all things and a restoring. Look at verses 6 and 7. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises unto our King. Sing praises. So we're told here that the, mo- uh, the most appropriate way to praise the Lord is to sing praises. Uh, Paul speaks of, you know, when he has a dispute concerning tongues. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15, he says, What is it then? How are you going to pray? With unknown tongues or tongues? He says, I will, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with understanding also. And he says, furthermore, I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with understanding also. So it's a good way to pray is with understanding. And it's a good way to sing is with understanding. And that's what we need to do. The verse uh, 7 tells us that. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. Look at verse 7. With understanding. One that hath understanding, if you have the marginal reference. Everyone that hath understanding. So, the most appropriate way to praise God. And then look at verse 8. It says, uh, God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. God is king over the Gentile world as well as the Jewish nation, the people of Israel. And even though he is not recognized as such yet in the Gentile world, in the heathen nations, we know that one day he's going to claim that recognition. And the Bible tells us in the book of Daniel that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. And even though the kingdom of men... The heathen nations in Daniel's day didn't recognize the rule of the Most High, yet he did rule because the Bible tells us there in Daniel that he removeth kings and setteth up kings. And if that's not ruling over the kingdoms of men, I don't know what is. And he took the kingdom from Belshazzar and gave it to the, to the Medes and the Persians, didn't he? And uh, it says, In that night was King Belshazzar slain, and his kingdom was taken from him. Remember, Daniel said... Uh, to Belshazzar, he says, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. He says, God has numbered your days, your kingdom, and it's given to the Medes and the Persians. And in that night, this king was slain. Coincidence? No, God predicted it. And it was going to happen. It did happen. Then he gave that kingdom to the other nations. So God, the Most High, ruleth in the kingdom of men. And then verse 9, The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong unto God. He is greatly exalted. So, He is King of kings. And notice this. It says, The princes of the people are gathered together, even the people of the God of Abraham. Speaking of Israel. And then, For the shields of the earth belong unto the Lord. In other words, he's the one that has everything under his protection and control. And you read Revelation 19, and we've referred to it time and again, where the Bible says he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we come to Psalm 48. I have prepared three of Psalms tonight. Uh, 
47, 48, and 49, and we'll try to progress and give you as much as we can for uh, each one if we get that far. If you remember, Sunday night I prepared three of them, and I got that one little short one, Psalm 46. It had 11 verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And uh, so uh, I'm going on. I keep preparing ahead. And I always like to, I told them, I said, I'd rather have, you know, I, I'd like to have plenty of ammunition. Then if I don't use it all, if I've got another box full left, I'll just keep it till the next time to shoot. And, you know, some guys, they just waste all the ammunition. They have nothing. And others don't bring enough to fight the battle. So, you know, you can do it two ways. You can just throw it out there and waste it all. Or you can uh, or not bring enough to fight the battle. Or you can have plenty and then just use what you need. And that's my plan. And that's the way I try to do it. As Brother Randy said one time, it's better to get up and have something to say than it is to get up and have to say something, isn't it? So that's what we try to do, and I know he does. And he, by the way, he'll be speaking Sunday evening. Okay, uh, Psalm 48. It says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness. Now, he is to be praised for his greatness in the city of God. Now, Jerusalem of old is... Is, uh, was a type of the city of God. And it's also a type of the New Testament church. Jerusalem was a type of that heavenly city that you read of in Hebrews 12. Let me read it read for you in Hebrews 12, and then we'll come back and apply it to uh, the New Testament church uh, and get some more things about it. But in Hebrews 12, it says in verse 22, But ye are not, but ye are come, First of all, in verse uh, 18, it says, You're not come unto the mouth that might be touched. And it refers to, to Mount Sinai, and it tells you some things about the voice uh, then uh, shaking uh, those, uh, the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words. And these people didn't want to hear any more of the word because it made them stand afar off. But now you come down to verse 22, and it says, But ye are come. So contrast verse 18 with verse 22. You're not come, verse 18, but ye are come unto Mount Zion, verse 22, and unto the city of the living God, <coughs> the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Anticipating that future assembly, that's already being made up of the dead in Christ that have gone on and will be completed when the rapture takes place and the resurrection takes place, and it'll all be combined together, that general assembly and church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And that's what we're come to in a spiritual sense. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So he's talking about a heavenly Jerusalem. Now then, that earthly Jerusalem was but a symbol and a picture of that heavenly Jerusalem. And it's also a type of the New Testament church, not only hereafter, but here upon this earth. If you read uh, the second verse, I want you to notice something. It says, beautiful for situation. You have it? Psalm 48, verse 2. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. It's beautiful for situation. For situation, Jerusalem was so naturally beautiful as far as location is concerned. And the church is so spiritually. 
It's beautiful for situation. The standing, the place where the church is and what it stands for. Jerusalem stood for that. That was that holy city of God, wasn't it, upon this earth? It was beautiful for situation. It represented the, the headquarters of the nation of Israel and their holy uh, temple, their place of, of, of assembly. And so the local New Testament church is beautiful for situation as well. There's not a more beautiful situation upon this earth today than the local New Testament church. It is beautiful for situation. For there's where the Word of God is to be preached. There's where the work of God is to be promoted. That's where the missionaries and ministry of God is to be carried out throughout the world. The local New Testament church. You know, a lot of people speak of the church in, in terms of, you know... Have you ever heard people say, Well, you know, I don't belong to local Riddos of Baptist Church, or I don't belong to this church, or I don't belong to that church. They say, I belong to the Lord's church. Well, I'll say, where is it? Where is it located? What function does it have? Does it carry on the God's work? Is it a local New Testament church? Does it assemble together? As it, is it taught in the Bible? It has to assemble to be a church in the first place. That's what it is. A called out assembly. Is it called out from the world? Is it separate, separate from the world? Is it an assembly where God's people meet together to worship the Lord? Is it an assembly where God's Word is preached and taught? Is it an assembly where joy and fellowship and prayer is offered up and uh, fellowship with the saints of God? Well, then, if it isn't, well, that's that's a church. Uh, the Bible says the church of God, which is at Jerusalem, or the church of God at Corinth, right? God's church has a locality. And if you'll study in the New Testament out of 116 times that the word church and uh, actually assembly, a called out assembly, ecclesia, and it was said in three places in Acts referring to, to uh, the, the town assembly, the assembly of the town, but it was used, uh, it was not that Jesus coined a new word. It was when the town council and people assembled, that was the same word that was used in the book of Acts. But they were not a church as he said, I will build my assembly or my church. And so out of 116 times in the New Testament when you find the word church, it refers about 109 to 10 times to a local church. The other church uh, words church uh, refer to the church in prospect or as it will be in the future. The glorified church. In fact, we just read one in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Now, when it is when it is assembled in heaven, it will be the church in heaven. Won't it? But right now, there are churches upon this earth. Jesus makes it very definite that the church local is to be honored because in the book of Revelation, He uses seven local churches to point out various situations. He says, under the church of Ephesus, right? Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, and the angel of the church of Smyrna, and the angel of the church of, uh, of Thyatira, and so on and so on, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, and all the others, we find seven churches, and they have had all different situations in those local churches. And it's not only there in the sense of the local church, but it speaks of the church uh, in uh, prospect or in prophecy. And the church ages, as we have taught in Revelation. It has a threefold uh, exposition as far as what Jesus said about those churches in the book of Revelation. All right, back to this. Where were we? Verse 2. Beautiful for situation. 
The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the, the city of the great king. And notice, this is where God manifests His presence. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. Where God dwells, and His presence is, the place is famous for God's presence. You know, if we ever get to the place that the Lord is not present in our services, that would be the saddest thing in the world. God's presence in the midst of His saints. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in My name, there am I in the midst of them. We pray for His anointing. We pray for His power. We pray for His presence among us. And He has promised His presence. We, we confess our need for Christ's presence in the church. We believe that apart from His presence, nothing good is accomplished. And apart from the Holy Spirit being our only administrator, nothing is accomplished. And the, the Word of God has to be touched and anointed with the Spirit of God. And God has promised His presence where His Word is preached faithfully. He tells us to declare it faithfully. And He tells us that the Holy Spirit is the bare witness unto the truth. He said He sent His Holy Spirit for that purpose. And you can tell out there in the, in the uh, pews, if the truth of God is being preached, the Holy Spirit of God bears witness to that truth. If I get up here and make some rash statement or something off the wall, you, you, you can immediately say, well, the Holy Spirit didn't dictate that. But if, if the Word of God is preached in truth, the Holy Spirit applies that to our hearts and lives. And we depend upon that help from God. I could get up here and preach all the night. And if I didn't say, uh, if, if what I say is not placed in your heart and approved by the Holy Spirit and God helps you to see it as truth from God, then very little is accomplished. But God has promised that He will do that when we're faithful to His Word. And He tells Jeremiah, He says, what is the chaff to the wheat? What if I get up and tell my dreams? He says, what is the chaff to the wheat? Have you ever read that in Jeremiah? He says, he that hath a dream, let him tell his dream. But he that hath my word, what? let him uh, declare my word faithfully. And that's what we're to do. That's why Paul told Timothy, he said, preach the word and be instant in season, out of season, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. All these aspects of the ministry of the word have to be taken into consideration. And so God's presence is known and famous in... Uh, uh, where he, where his city is and where his church is. Uh, there's a, a lot to, to be said about the word known. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. See that? Sometimes just words by themselves stand out. And by the way, it says in Romans chapter 1 verse 8, when Paul was speaking to the church at Rome, he said, Your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It's, it's great when a, when a church's faith is spoken of out through, throughout the community. I had a couple of, three, three fellows came down here at noon today to set up for the cameras for a wedding, for Janetta's wedding tomorrow at noon. And anyway, they were talking when they came in. The, the, the first thing they said, we've heard a lot about you. We've heard a lot about this church. And you know, men I've never met face to face before in my life. One of them was from California. One of them was from over here at Alto, and another was a friend of the, of the family. But when people can hear of it in one way or another, and from some avenue, God has a way of, of 
making his testimony sound out. And Paul said to the Romans, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world or the known world in that day. And so those Romans... And by the way, he hadn't been to Rome at this time. He was hoping to go to them, hadn't he? He says, I, I desire to come and preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He says, that I may impart unto you a blessing. Impart one of the, the, the blessings. He says, when I come, I hope to be able to impart unto you the blessings of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ brings blessings with it when it's preached. So uh, we find that God's presence... And then let's notice something else. Verses 4 through 6. Let's read these and couple them together because uh, time is getting away. Verses 4 through 6. It says, For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. They were troubled and hasted away. They came and they went. The kings came and they left. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. Look at that. The kings, the kings came, didn't they? But the kings went because of conviction and because of God's power and because where, where God dwells there will be conviction. Remember when uh, Paul preached to Felix, it says, Felix trembled. And he says, Go thy way for this, this time. I will call for you at a convenient season. He trembled because of what Paul had preached to him was of uh, temperance and, and uh, of judgment to come. And uh, Felix trembled because Paul was preaching to him the Word of God. He was telling him what God expected of him. And where God's presence is, there will be trembling. You read in Revelation chapter 6. Let me read for you. Sixth chapter of Revelation. Begin with verse 15. Look what it says here. It says, "...in the kings of the earth..." We're talking about coming and going. "...kings..." The kings of the earth and the great men and rich men and chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? You know, every once in a while if we just stop and kind of take an inventory of ourselves... And it's, it's like when Paul said in the book of Hebrews again, in quoting from one of the Psalms, he said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Just what is man? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. Thou didst set him over the works of thy all thy hands. Thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in thee he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But I'm thankful for the next verse. But it says, but now we see not yet all things put under Him. Why? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became Him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And on and on. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, he goes on and on about the church that God has given him. But uh, we find that uh, kings tremble in the presence of God. Look at verse 7, if you will. 
He is the God of the elements. Look at verse 7. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. He has power over the, the winds. Someone says, well, what about when the hurricanes come? He has power over them. What about when the tornadoes come? He has power over them. The Bible says God has His way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds with the dust of His feet. God is over all this universe. You say, well, then why does He permit these things to happen as a result of, of these uh, the, the hurricanes and the tornadoes? They all have a purpose in God's plan. And there's no guarantee in life that sometimes innocent do not suffer with guilty. There's no guarantee of that. He permitted all the apostles to be martyred except John. Right? And they were the very nearest and dearest to his heart. And you say, well, why does God do that? I don't question why God does things. I just say if it's God's business what He does, and He'll get glory out of it one way or another. And the Bible tells us that they'll receive a great crown. They'll receive the martyr's crown. You say that's a horrible way to receive a crown. It may be, but sometimes it was in God's plan. And so we, we have to learn to accept God's will and God's purpose in all things. When I look up here, and I was in there to see uh, Karen yesterday. Took her birthday card and pinned it on the wall. Louise painted it for her. And I showed it to her and read it to her before. My little niece and Troy's, Troy's sister up there at the, the care center. And uh, I showed it to her. And first she didn't make any response whatsoever. And then, I, and then when I began to read it to her, she said, Ah... Just like that. That's about all she can say. And you know then she recognizes something. And her eyes will turn around and you can see her looking at you. And a lot of times you don't know if she does or not. But anyway, we sometimes we say, well, what purpose is there? I don't know God's purpose for that. I have no idea. And we've left her in God's hands several times, haven't we? Over at the hospital one night, I Troy called me and the nurses called me. And I met, ran up there in the middle of the night. And uh, they were breathing, helping her breathe with one of those uh, manual type things where they just pump air. And uh, so the decision had to be made that if the nurse said if we quit doing that, well, she wouldn't make it. And we had all decided we didn't want her on a respirator the rest of her life. So we decided not to. And so they ceased doing that. And all of a sudden she began to breathe. She began to breathe. And she made it without it. And we left it in God's hands. And so, if it's in God's hands, we can't say anything. We'll just wait till He calls. And leave it to Him. So here, He's the God of... What verse, verse 7? Thou breakest the ships of Tarsus with an east wind. With an east wind. God can. He is the God of the elements, and He can use the wind to accomplish His will. And probably the ships of Tarsus were considered strong enough to stand any storm, but it says he breaketh the ships of Tarshish. You remember how they thought about the Titanic, said this is the unsinkable, right? They said, no, it'll never sink. They couldn't believe until they were almost drowned before that happened, or when that happened. They said this, this ship has proven it's to be unsinkable. But you know, God's elements are greater than the strongest of iron and steel. And he breaketh the ships of Tarshish. It says, uh, with an east wind. We find back in the Old Testament that uh, in the book of Exodus, concerning the deliverance of the children of Israel, 
God says, uh, it says, Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them. That's when they covered the uh, Pharaoh and the host of the enemy of Israel in the, in the midst of the sea. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 4 it says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. So God has power, doesn't He? And then we find in verse 8, look at verse 8, it says, As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Selah. Look at that statement. We've seen that God will establish it forever. Selah. What do you think of that? That God has a city that He's going to establish forever. That God's city is established forever. And we said that city is symbolical and typical of the church. And Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So He's established the church forever. Remember me mentioning one time, uh, not too long uh, ago in one of my messages, maybe it was just last week where we... Uh, or in the Sunday school lesson where we had gone over to Alma Gorda, where that large building is on the right. It used to be a church as uh, these uh, little three-wheelers and four-wheel vehicles, Polaris maybe, I don't know the name of them, but, or wh- whatever the company name is. But over here on the right side as you go into Alma Gorda, it used to be a church, and they had a revival meeting over there. They had an evangelist out of Florida. We went over there. In fact, Troy's mother and my sister went over there with some other people. And this guy was preaching, and he was preaching on the, from the book of Ezekiel, Watchman, what are the night? What, what of the night? And uh, that's one of my references, by the way, but I probably won't get to it. But the thing about it is, he was preaching on that, and he was saying that the only way God was going to to uh, bless now and save people was through these various little evangelistic uh, groups from place to place. That he was through with the church. I thought, fella, you, you really got off on that statement. You know, in spite of his enthusiasm and his convincing arguments that to go out and to be uh, evangelistic and missionary and etc., which was all good, you know, you have to learn to, to glean the good from the bad when you hear preaching. That's why you have to have the Holy Spirit, don't you? To glean what's right and what's wrong. Anyway... When he said that, I thought, well, the Lord said he'd never be through with the church. He said, when I come. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he says, upon this rock, and he spoke of himself, will I build my church. I look for local churches to be here when Jesus comes. I look for them to be doing their work here when Jesus comes. It doesn't mean we'll be doing all we need to do. The song that Brother Jim sang a little bit ago leaves open the invitation and the and the spirit of, of uh, doing more and witnessing to more uh, people while we have opportunity. We don't want to leave them all behind, do we? And so, when we have opportunity, let us speak out the message and give the witness and sow the seed, and God will give the increase in due time. And He's the only one that can do it. You and I can twist arms and persuade and manipulate and do all we... But if, if the Lord doesn't save, nobody's going to be saved. He has to do the saving. We do the... We do the planting and the watering. Uh, Paul says, one planteth and another watereth, but God giveth the increase. Okay? Uh, he says down here that, uh, that God will establish it forever. So the church is established. Ephesians 3.21 says, And to Him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. World without end. Verse 9 says, We have thought of Thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of Thy temple. God's loving kindness is revealed in this temple. 
It says we have thought of thy loving kindness. Do we think enough of God's loving kindness? You know, God's people are, should be thoughtful people. We have thought. We have thought of thy loving kindness. Remember Psalm 51 where David, after he had sinned, he prayed and he said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. He says, Against thee and thee only have I sinned, done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and clear when thou judgest. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He says, Make me to hear no joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken, broken with conviction, may rejoice. He says, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And he says, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Unless we have the joy of salvation, we can't teach sinners and transgression uh, of their transgressions and sinners being converted. Unless he does something about our transgressions. Alright? Now let's look at verse uh, 10. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. His right hand is full of righteousness. The Bible says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Romans 10 verse 4. His righteous judgments are, is a subject of praise. Look at verse 11. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. His judgments are true and righteous. The Bible says, True and righteous are, thy ju- are his judgments in the book of Revelation. And then in verses 12 and 13, we talk about the preservation and protection of the church. He says, Walk about Zion and go round about her. If you were talk about Jerusalem, walk about Jerusalem. Walk about the earthly Jerusalem. Well, what about the heavenly Jerusalem? What about the church of God? Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof, Mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the following, to the generation following. We find here the protection and the preservation of the church. The tall towers were for watchmen of the city. And that's where we're going to read Isaiah 21 and uh, concerning the watchmen of the city. We won't have time to read it. But uh, we know that the towers of earthly cities have crumbled as far as earthly uh, protection is concerned. We've seen great uh, nations where their watchmen have fallen because their towers were blown out from under them in wars. But God's towers will always stand. And notice, it says, tell the towers thereof. And he says, mark ye well her bulwarks. I want to read Isaiah 26 right quick because it says something in verses 1 and 2. It says, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Salvation he's going to appoint for walls and bulwarks. What is the protection? The bulwarks were to protect the city. Salvation protects us. Salvation protects the church. It says, put on the helmet of what? Salvation. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we have the protection that God is speaking of. Our last verse, and we'll get to it now. Verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. We have the same one forever and ever. This God. The God that is previously spoken of, 
Great is the Lord, verse 1. See? And this God is our God, verse 14, forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. The eternal God is our guide. The Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We find that throughout life we will be led and even unto death. And that's the kind of leadership we want. Look at this again. For this God is our God forever and ever. So He's our God now, and He's our God in the future. He will be our guide even unto death. He's our guide in this life, and He'll be our guide even unto death. And we can be thankful for these precious promises of God. Well, we won't have time to get Psalm 49, but i still got the ammunition right here. Okay? Thank you for your patience and your kind attention and your presence and your prayers. And, and let's love one another and pray for one another and do what God wants us to do and everything will work out right. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer.